Just because miracles are improbable does not equate to miracles being impossible. Just because miracles are improbable doesn't mean that they are impossible. In fact, the word miracle talks about something extraordinary, which is outside of the ordinary. Therefore, it's not going to happen all the time, but that doesn't mean it's impossible. And these are very big assumptions that just exclude room for the supernatural. And I want to say here in the West, here in America, if we've been to school, if we read a lot, we need to be aware of this and push back that kind of thinking that just by default excludes the supernatural. And we've talked about that some here, and we might even perhaps be in the minority in the world as far as this kind of thinking, although we think we sit high and perched in our intellect. If you want to dig more into this, um, there's a lot of dismantling of this stuff. I would highly recommend C.S. Lewis's book, Miracles. I would recommend Gunning for God by John Lennox. I would recommend anything written by Alvin Plantinga. They do an incredible job just kind of dismantling some of these thoughts. Um, all right, so... <clears throat> oh, I did have one more mistake, right. Since the laws of nature are firm and unalterable, that's what Hume said, then miracles is mistake number three. Miracles simply cannot be because they would break the laws of nature. Now this one, I would, I would say I actually struggle with this one. You know, I don't understand. Like, there is a natural way. There's things, there's a way things work. And if, if miracles were true, then they would be breaking the laws of nature. And that would kind of be like God contradicting what he made and created. But here's the mistake in this assumption, again, is assuming that everything in reality is fixed in a box. And you forget, oh, there's a, miracle, there's a lawgiver that created the box. Outside of the box. He's the God of the whole show, right? He's not contained within our little worldview. He's outside of that. So when God decides to break into the natural order, he's not breaking the natural laws he created. He's just inserting a whole new instance and working within the natural order that he made. Think about the virgin birth, right? Do people normally get pregnant by God? No, no, right, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a miracle. That's, that's a, a divine, divine intervention, intervention where he comes in, creates a whole new instance, and, and then works within the natural order. Nine months, baby develops, baby's born, everything's normal. The laws of nature were not broken. And C.S. Lewis provides a pretty cool um, illustration thinking about this as well as, as miracles not breaking the laws of nature. He says, if you went to bed and you put $100 in the bedside drawer and you closed it up, and then the next morning you woke up and you pulled up, opened the drawer and looked, and there was only $20 in there, your first thought would not be like, the laws of math have been broken. The laws of nature have been contradicted here. Your first thought would be some outside intervention has come in here, stuck its hand in there, and took 80 of my dollars. But it took knowing the laws of math to recognize an outside encounter, intervention, right? And so it's because we understand laws, we understand how the world works, is that we can look and say, ah, that, that's a miracle. So they don't break the laws of nature. And so we need to maybe expand our thinking and look at the scriptures, be open and say, wow, God, what do you want to do in me and through me? Now, we all know, or maybe we don't know, I love the, the, the movie Miracle. About the 1980 uh, U.S. hockey team, it's just one of the most inspiring movies, one of the most inspiring stories. I've seen several documentaries on it. But there's this, there's this moment um, in the movie I would like to think it's real, where Herb Brooks, I'm sure he said even greater things than this, pre-game before they play the Russians. I mean, this, the insurmountable odds, you know, the unbeatable team, the Russians, and the group of college kids have been working their tails off. And he says this, great moments 
are born from great opportunity. And that is what you have here tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity, and that's what we have here tonight. And they're in the locker room waiting to play. And then if we fast forward to the end of the game, with the infamous Al Michaels is just screaming hysterically as the seconds are counting down, two, one, do you believe in miracles? Yes! We could rephrase Herb Brooks's his pregame speech and say not just great moments, but miracles are born from great opportunity. Miracles are born from great opportunity. And so if we apply this to Scripture, maybe we could ask, what makes a great opportunity for a miracle? What makes a great opportunity for a miracle? Let's just let that marinate just a little bit. Because in my mind, a great opportunity is starting to look like a time for panic, for fear, for turning around and running away, for why God, oh no, right? That's what the opportunity might look like. And so there's a shift in our perspective. There's a shift in our thinking. There's a shift in my thinking today, let me confess, that has to take place to see life and situations as an opportunity, a great opportunity for a miracle. I need the shift. We need this shift. And, and God help us make this shift as we look into your scripture. What's a great opportunity for a miracle? Man, it might, it might look like a giant, a spiritual giant standing in front of you just mocking you. It's a great opportunity for a miracle. It might look like how in the world are we going to make it to next paycheck? It might be a great opportunity for a miracle. It might be a loss of a job. It might be a diagnosis that we never wanted to hear. It might be a great opportunity for a miracle. And we'll see as we dig in, maybe the miracle sometimes is, is, is different and deeper and better than what we expect it to look like. And so our primary text today, John 2, 1 through 11 Forgot to put it in my notes so I can follow along with you or pull it up here. John chapter 2. <clears throat> All right, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. I like the details. <clears throat> and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars. We love mamas, don't we? The kind, <laughs> the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. That's a lot. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. 
Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Verse 11, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So thinking about our opening question, what makes a great opportunity for a miracle? What do we do with our opportunities in life? And I'm going to build my points from that. What do we do with our opportunities in life? And the first thing we see in this instance is the problem, and we'll call it opportunity, was brought to Jesus. The problem, the opportunity was brought to Jesus. So whatever that great opportunity might look like for you, the first greatest step of wisdom that we could apply is to take this thing to Jesus. Bring it before him. Isn't that what Mary did? Mary comes over, Jesus, we got a problem. See, everyone loves, loves miracles, but not everyone loves being put in the situations where miracles are needed, right? But maybe the most important thing about the problems we face is not where we are when they show up, how big or how small they are, but maybe the most important thing is, is, is Jesus there? Is the opportunity in the hands of Jesus? Are we presenting it, Lord, I don't know what we're going to do here, but I'm inviting you in to my situation. I'm inviting you in to my problem. And in this passage, thank God, Jesus was close enough. He was close enough for the problem to be brought to him. Do we know where to go with the problems that we have when they arise? Or maybe we know, do we actually go there? Do we actually bring our problems to Jesus? And I think Mary shows us an incredible uh, amount of wisdom here and how to handle a problem large or small. And so what's the nature of their problem, right? The, The wine ran out. Maybe that's not the greatest of problems for some of us in here. Like, what do you mean the wine ran out? Like, can we get something better here to inaugurate your ministry and let people know you can perform miraculous deeds? You know, I, I don't know. Um, but here we are, Jesus' first sign, the wine ran out. Now, I, let me just say, I grew up Southern Baptist, so if this, if this passage makes you uncomfortable in any way, I get it. I get it. I I sat under plenty of teaching where all of the wine in the New Testament must not have been fermented, was what I was taught. (laughs) That was what I was taught, right? It was not fermented, and because we don't drink one drop of anything fermented. And so that's, so when I came across passages like this, I I feel that uncomfort, like, wait, 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 hold on, are we, oh, oh, and we try to explain it, but um, it's kind of hard to stand on that uh, position when the master of the banquet's like, whoa, you brought the good stuff out because normally people wait until people have drunk plenty and they don't care about what it tastes like because their mental state has been altered and their taste buds aren't really caring. Or, or when Paul says things like, don't get drunk on wine. 
You know, it's kind of hard to justify that all the wine in the New Testament must have been Welch's grape juice because it doesn't usually cause you to get drunk. But let me just say this and move on, okay? Some of us in here, I'm just going to say you need to drink less. You need to drink less. Some of us in here, we got freed from this legalistic yoke, you know, of religion, and we're like, man, this is awesome. It's great. We enjoy, you know, friends and God's presence and, and hospitality and fellowship and praise God for all that. But at some point, you got freed from one yoke, and you might find yourself with another yoke having to deal with dependency or whatever it might be that you're dealing with. And it's like, well, was this what the freedom was about? Um, And some of us in here, we might just need to drink none. That's okay. You you know there's a generational issue. You know your your weakness. Or you may just have a conviction that, you know, I feel like my witness is ruined if I engage in drinking alcohol just because of the nature of our culture. And you know what? That's a good conviction. And that's okay. And some of us might just need to relax a little bit and loosen our grip on legalism and just find freedom in Christ as, as who I am in Christ and, and not finding freedom in me judging everybody else's decisions. But here's, here's the one thing I'll say. We just, we're not really to add any commandments that God and Jesus didn't give us. Um, so we don't want to do that. And we're also not to push every conviction we have on everyone else. And so 1 Corinthians 8 and 9 might be helpful um, to read. Paul uh, addresses kind of some of that topic and issue, not alcohol, but just your convictions. So back to the passage, they run out of wine. We all know this would be, or maybe we don't know, this would be actually pretty disgraceful in in this setting. In a first century Jewish wedding that lasted a week, and you were pretty uh, heavily relied upon to provide food and drink, and that was um, on the groom and his family, to run out would be really bad. Uh, in fact, there was one commentary uh, that I looked at. He said it would, it would have been a social catastrophe. And some said that there were actually possibly even legal ramifications. You could be sued. That's I mean, kind of weird, but it, people looked at, hey, you know, you, you invite me to a festive, festive you know, like week, uh, and, and you don't make good on your end. Um, people, people were not real happy. And so it was almost as if Mary's asking Jesus to step in and, and do something to help uh, alleviate the shame that possibly might come on this couple and this groom. She's like, hey, we don't have any wine. Like, we're out. And I, she's serving, she's helping, she's directing, she's ordering. So we know, like, this is either relatives or very close friends that have invited Jesus and his family and Mary, because Mary has this role. And so she comes to Jesus like, you've got to help cover the shame of this groom because we got a situation here. And so it's kind of like, hey, can you, can you do something? And then in verse four, you know, Jesus has this response, woman, why do, why do you involve me? My hour is not yet come. And so he answers, like, talking about the hour of his death. Every time in John, when the hour, when Jesus' hour is mentioned, it refers to his death, his burial, and his resurrection. 
in his final hour of rule and reign. That's every time. And so here's the same. He jumps to that, the whole purpose of him coming. My hour is not yet come. And so, so it's like he's, he's saying, oh, I, I will cover the shame of the groom. I will cover the shame of humanity when my hour comes, but, but not yet. But yet at the same time, his address is, is pretty unique. He addresses her as woman. Now, in 2023, it might be like, yeah, Jesus, what you doing, bro? That's like kind of offensive. You don't say that. Um, but I like the way, I think it was um, D.A. Carson might have said, there was, there was a polite distance, is what he called it, by addressing her as lady. So he's not saying, hey, mom. But he, he is creating a polite distance. And it's like he's recognizing. She's saying, hey, can you do something about this? Like, you want to start, like, she's raised Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like, you want to start showing people what's going to happen here? And it's almost like Jesus affirms that she senses something's changing. And he affirms it by saying, hey, lady. I'm, right? So it's like, it's not just mom or I'm the boy Jesus you raised, but I am now the man Jesus that is going to be your Lord and Messiah and Savior. And so he's affirming her. He's affirming the sense that something's starting, something's shifting. Can you do a miracle? And then by him actually, or by her, then, then changing or shifting over and just saying, do whatever he says. Yeah. It's like, I got you about the hour. The full. We're not talking about that kind of shame. I'm talking about right now. Just do what he says. And he does it. It's pretty cool. It's a very interesting interaction. And so Jesus... <clears throat> In his, in his reply, in this, this talk about his hour, he seems to be maybe, maybe just kind of thinking about it, um, but he's implying that he, he detects the symbolism of this wedding here and that with the final wedding feast of the consummation of his kingdom age where he will rule and reign, the wine will flow freely, and, um, which is actually biblical. Isaiah 25 says there will be the finest of meats and the finest of wines will be served. Jeremiah 31 says they will rejoice in the bounty of the new grain and the new wine in that day. Amos 9 says wine will drip from the mountains and flow from the hills, right? So he's thinking, man, this, this wedding moment, we're out of wine, but there's going to be a day at a great celebration, the consummation of my kingdom where the wine will flow freely and I will be the groom. Like he seems to be, when he's talking about his hour, maybe implying this or thinking about this. Secondly, talking about his hour, he's, he's saying, you know, when I complete, my final hour is completed and the age of my kingdom come, I will be that bridegroom and I'll supply all the wine. And he also seems to me maybe talking about his mission. It's not yet come, right? So my mission and my hour has to be directed by the Father, it's, it's his timing. It's his, not just human, not just Mary. But then Mary says, okay, I got all that, perhaps, but can we do something now? And that kind of takes you to the next, hey, do whatever he tells you. And point number two, our problems or our opportunities require obedience. So we have to bring the problem to Jesus. Secondly, we need to bring it to Jesus knowing that there's going to be some obedience yeah required here. And Mary, wow, what, a, what an incredible mom. Do, like, turns to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. And so then we move on to verse six. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 
gallons. Now, what's up with these jars? Now, purification jars in a Jewish home, they would um, be used for cleansing and a purification ritual. And most likely with six 30-gallon jars, like what do you, what the world, man, that's a lot of, they would probably be used to fill an immersion pool. And that, that was one of the ceremonies. You would dip in a pool. And it was a sim- symbolic of, of cleansing before entering into a home and, and decontaminating yourself from the world. And all the Jewish rituals, all the Old Testament rituals are in place to show us what must take place in us before we are ever to enter into God's presence. We must receive some type of cleansing, some type of healing before we could enter the presence of a holy God. And it reminds us that we're not holy and that he is and that something must take place. And very interesting, it would actually have violated custom for Jesus to use something set aside for spiritual ritual and to use it for a non-ritual purpose like this. Now, I find that interesting that Jesus would break custom because of his great care and concern for his friend, the groom, and for his honor. Jesus would break custom because of his care and his concern and honor for the groom, his friend. Will we break policy sometimes because of our care and concern for people? We should. Policies are great. They guide us. They give us help. But you know what? Policies are there to serve people. And customs are, are there to serve another purpose. They're not the high end all, you know, that's not the main goal. And so I love that Jesus says, hey, you know what? These are actually for your honor, for your good. And he would do that for his friend. Maybe we should do it for ours. Now, we know this command would certainly raise questions. Hey, can you um, go get these jars, fill them with water? Or, you know, and you're the servants. Just think about the questions you might have. Hey, well, wait, we get to, we're going to get some used ceremonial jar. We're going to fill them with water. Okay, we fill them with water. And I just dip, dip in and take it to the headmaster. You want us to take a cup of water to the headmaster and serve it to him. This, this could be bad, Jesus. You know, like, this could be bad. Hey, the guy's going to drink some stale, nasty water. And we're going to be kicked out of here. I mean, all the questions are, is this the last wedding we're going to attend? Are we ever going to party again? Like, what what are we doing here? But there was an obedience that was required. An obedience required before understanding what exactly was happening. And so what's that small, simple next step that God might be asking you to do? Yeah, but hold on. We're going to use water? Yeah. Or why are we doing this? Now, these, are, these are the questions I get. Like, Jesus, what's the small next step Jesus is asking you to do? What habits is he asking you to form this year? What small step? Reading your Bible, praying. Do, what, what, what is the step? Career, vocationally, what is it? And maybe the questions just need to be zipped and just say, all right, Jesus, what are you asking me to do? I mean, I can just imagine. We're going to use What? Yeah, we're going to use your bank account to say what? We're going to do, I I want you to take this and do this. The question is, will we do it? I love their obedience. Jesus says, fill jars and what? They've filled them to the brim. Mary just has this incredible, whatever he says, do it. And the tense of this verb is like better than Nike's, just do it. It's like, just do it right now. 
And it's better than Nike too, because I don't even know what they're asking me to do sometimes. And they don't have that much authority over my life. But yeah, here's Mary. That, whatever Jesus says, just do it. So it's like way better than that. Just do it. Do what? Just do what Jesus tells you to do. Just do it now. Okay. I mean, our Catholic friends, like, they love Mary, you know? But, man, this is her last recorded words. That's it's pretty high. I would esteem those as well. She's deflecting, saying, you do what Jesus tells you to do. We come to Mary, that's what you're going to find. The last words are recorded in Scripture. Do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Oh, thanks, Mary. Wow. That's pretty powerful. And so, there they go. They just do it. Whatever he says, that speaks of entire obedience. Whatever he says speaks of exclusive obedience. Regardless of what anybody else says, you do what he says. And do it requires specific obedience. Whatever it is he tells you to do, you do it. I want the kind of obedience they display. Jesus, fill the jars. Servants, fill it to the brim. <laughs> right? Fill the jars. Here it is. I mean, I'll, like, like the cohesion is like, here it is. Hey, well, Wait, here, there it is. They didn't know what was going to happen. That's, that's some pretty impressive obedience. Fill the jars. Here you go. Oh, all right. Good job. Wow, that was really good. You know, that, I want that kind of obedience. I want this brimful obedience. You know, I want that. Hey, Jesus, like, do this. All right, here it is. And then some. Not adding two, but just like, whatever you want, Lord. What a great heart posture. I've had so many young people over the years. They're always like, hey, hey, is it okay if we do this? Or where, where's the line? If, is, it, is it sin if we do this? Or can we? And I, I've told them year after year after year, whenever I get that question, if you're asking me where the line is so you can get as close to it as you can, you already crossed it. You already crossed it in your heart. Where's the line so I can get all as close as I can? You are, you're done. You already crossed the line. Brimful obedience isn't interested in the line. Where is Jesus? I don't even need the line. I don't, where are you? What are you asking me to do? That's what I want. Lord, help me. Some of that brimful obedience. Good gracious. Just do it. And number three, the problem, the opportunity, invited participation with God. He invited participation. This is amazing. God could have been like wine. Whew. In the jars. Fill them up. Dang, look at that. You know what I mean? He says, no, go get the jar. He, he involved the participation of his servants. This is incredible. How is Jesus inviting you to participate with him today? How is Jesus inviting you? It might look, who knows what it might look like. So I had a friend helping me put some posts in in the ground of my house a few weeks ago, and one of his his helpers that came out saw him briefly. The next day had a horse accident and was uh, drugged by a horse, kicked in the head. They thought he was going to die. And he was paralyzed when, they, when the ambulance got him. They said, probably not going to walk again. So my friend says, I, t- I called him. I was like, how much money do I owe you for fuel? <laughs> and he's like, I don't need any money. Here's what happened. I was like, oh, my gosh. He said, just, can you just pray for my friend? Just pray for him. So I'm like, okay. He's in ICU. So I called Zach Witted. I called Devon because they've been praying for people and stuff's been happening. You know, like their faith. I'm like, y'all, my faith, my faith. Now, can you just kind of bring, you know, level out the faith? So we went, we went and prayed for him. And we, we got up there and I was just, I read the scripture. I was like, hey, look, there was a paralytic and his friends just brought him to Jesus. And I was like, that's all we're doing today, Terry. We're just, 
We're just bringing you to Jesus and just going to pray for you. We start praying for him. I mean, there's nothing crazy happening. He does start shaking and, and stuff. And I'm like, well, hey, Terry, what's, what's happening? And he can't even talk good. It's affected his speech. He says, I feel a warm sensation all over my body. I feel like, elect, like electric, just electricity. I was like, whew, I think God's really wanting to do something in your life. And I, I was like, can I go back and get another friend? Because we only be up there two at a time. He's like, yeah. So I go down and get, uh, I think Devon and I, and I go get witted um, or vice versa. And then we pray again and we just pray for him. Well, he posted, I, I didn't even, we're going to meet and follow. He posted on Facebook, like right over Christmas. He said, hey, by the miracle of God, I'm in physical therapy. I'm moving, I'm walking. And he said, I know this is God. I know this is God. Now, if, this, if, if a miracle's taking place in his body and he's defying the medical report, I, that divine power comes in at some point. But you know, all I, all I did was call a friend. Well, his friend called me, then I called a friend, and then we just drove over to the hospital, find out what room he, when we just sit with him, read a scripture, you know, just get to know him, and just pray for him. That's all we did. And at some point, there's something divine, supernatural, something's intervening into the natural order and doing something. I don't know when, I don't know how. You think these servants knew when that water turned to wine? No, fill it with water, fill it to the brim. Now just dip and take it. I don't know if they dipped it and then were like, hey, this is purple. You know, or like, if they were like, took the water all the way to and just were like, oh God. And he's like, hey, we don't know when the miracle took place. And here's the cool thing. All you see, this participation, all you see is men at work. And then at the end, divine intervention. Oh, whoa, when did that happen? I don't know. We just were filling jars, dipping it, just doing what Jesus asked us. And at some point, a miracle happened. It's participation. God asks, he's inviting us to participate. Call a friend, pray for somebody, do this, do that. I mean, it's just men working, men and women. We're just working, just doing. And God, boom, because of that obedience, at some point, the divine nature takes place. And, and, and really cool, like they, the, the verse where the, the headmaster, it says he didn't know where the wine came from, but the servants did, yeah. right? They knew. We just work in and then, whoo, wow, I don't know how that happened. We put water in there. I'm telling you, we put water in there. And he's drinking wine now. And so they have this little secret. Man, we just obeyed Jesus. And we, we know. Look, if God starts using you, don't ever forget. Don't ever, we know, where it ha- we know where that power came from. I didn't do anything. Just obeyed. Just obeyed. So lastly here, the problem, our opportunity became, became a miracle. And the miracle ignited belief. Verse 11 is kind of the, <clears throat> the whole kind of point of this passage. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. See, two things in this verse from the signs Jesus performed. Jesus revealed his glory and the disciples believed. Revealed his glory and ignite belief. He reveals his glory and he ignites belief. Every time God does a miracle, he reveals his glory, and he ignites belief. Faith was ignited even among his disciples. Now, I imagine up to this point, it took some type of like belief in Jesus to follow him. I mean, either like he's a great teacher, a great rabbi, or like something's different here, but they didn't know. Because it says at this moment, they believed. They believed. Something shifted in their faith. The level of their faith, they're already following Jesus, but it says they believed. Something increased. God wants to take us from faith to faith 
to faith, from glory to glory to glory to glory. There, there is some part of our faith and our belief that can still increase. There's some part of our, our following Jesus and how we view him and, and how we view what he wants to do in and through us that can go another level. It's not like, I know levels of the kingdom can't be the same as the world. Usually it's kind of topsy-turvy, so we'll probably, the more humble we get, you know, the greater we get. But there's, there's a level of faith that God wants to increase in our hearts. I know he wants to increase it in me. That's why I'm trying to hang around friends like Devon and Zach. Like, I'm just give me some of that, because mine, mine was here, and maybe it's been knocked around and, and hurt and injured and all kinds of stuff. But there's a faith that God wants to bring into our lives, into our church. He wants to increase the level of faith to say, look, I don't know how stuff happens. I don't know why stuff doesn't happen sometimes. That's okay. God is God, and we're going to obey him. We're going to bring our problems to him. We're going to know it's going to require obedience, and we're going to participate with him. And that, that's a recipe for a miracle. It's a recipe for a miracle. Jesus doesn't perform these signs and miracles in the Gospels just to show divine power, but to point to his redemptive purpose. The whole like thesis of the gospel of John, his whole point, he writes in John 20, 31, he says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, again, we said, I, I probably wouldn't choose turning water to wine as my first sign, like to inaugurate my ministry, here we go, I'm going to show you, you know, but I'm not God, and neither are you, and we, we'd probably be levitating and flying and zapping, like, you know, like, we're weird, we're stupid. People are like, man, sit down. God chooses it, but you know what, it is fitting, it is fitting that God would inaugurate, Jesus would inaugurate his earthly ministry at a banquet, at a wedding banquet, because he will inaugurate his kingdom one day at a banquet, it will be a wedding banquet. We've already talked about it. In that day, the Old Testament points to it. The New Testament points to it. There will be a day when the kingdom is inaugurated, and it will be at a great wedding banquet, and Jesus himself will be the groom, and you and I, the church, will be his bride. And we will celebrate what he has done. And so it's very fitting. Wow, Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. So can we begin to operate with a lens of faith as we approach every situation in our lives, a lens of faith. What if our greatest problems were the greatest opportunities to deepen that faith? This miracle's for you. The wedding at Cana, this miracle, the, the signs in John, they're for you. They're for you, unbeliever, that you may believe that the Messiah, the Son of God, is Jesus, and you may have life in his name. The miracles are for you. If you're an unbeliever, these, this gospel was written for you to believe that Jesus was and is the Son of God and that you might have life in his name. If you would recognize that, confess that, put your trust and your faith and your life in him as the Son of God. What does that mean? He has paid for your sin. He has paid your ransom. He has lived perfectly, and he wants to exchange his righteousness for your sin. That's what it means, that he's the son of God, that he died and he rose again. This miracle is for you, disciple. 
right? It says this miracle happened. He revealed his glory and the disciples believed. This miracle is for you, disciple, that you can level up in your faith. Man, that's good. We all like to level up. Ah, level two, level three. Boom, here we go. Let, let, next one, next level. This is for you, that we can level up in our faith, that God would take us from glory to glory and faith to faith. So what problem are you facing? Maybe right now, 2023, January, that only Jesus can fix. What problem are we facing that perhaps only Jesus can fix? Is it a problem? Is it an opportunity? Lord, help us, help me, help me to start seeing with a lens of faith opportunities for God to show up, for God to reveal his glory, and for me to believe. I know some, I mean, I'm standing here as one of them. I know some of you have had your faith injured. You've had your faith injured. You stepped out, you believed God, and nothing happened. I'm telling you, for every testimony, like Terry or whoever, I mean, Zach, my friend got a book written down of stuff God doing. For every testimony, I mean, who knows how many there are, nothing happened. Does it change the nature of God? It doesn't. Do we have to defend God? No. I think I've made that mistake. Like, I got to defend, like, why did God didn't do something? I got to figure out and explain why. Maybe it was me, it was him, it was this, it was that, it was... Now, we, we just obey Bring it to Jesus, obey, participate. The heavy lifting, the divine spark, the results are his. I think what's most important is we're just honest about that. It's not doubt to be like, remember Shadrach, me checking about it? It's not doubt to be like, even if, even if he doesn't. I'm just telling you, nobody can do. I'm going to obey him. I'm going to pray. So I know for me, I, I mean, God's got to pull me up out of some of that injured faith. Because people ask me to pray, maybe in recent years, and I'll be like, okay. But deep down, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. But that's okay. It's okay. God didn't ask me to do anything, didn't ask you to do anything like crazy. He just said, will you obey me? Will you step out? Will you trust me? And that's the lens we want to put on today. If you want to close your eyes, we'll pray. Lord, help us as a church, as a people to shift our thinking, which really, wow, means to repent. Just change the way we think about our problems. Change the way we think about life. Change the way we think about hardship. Lord, would you help us? I just pray a prayer of faith over this church that we would move from one level of faith to another. That we would believe you for miracles. That we would be honest that you are the, we know where the power came from. We're just obedient servants. We see that role then it's so much easier just to step out and obey and just say, God, do what you want to do. But take us to another level of faith, Lord. Help us to see through the lens of faith that we could increase even our our discernment of, hey, let's go pray for this person. Perhaps God is speaking. Lord, help us to adopt a level of faith to reject unbelief, to reject doubt, Lord, to bring our problems to you with a posture of obedience and a willingness to participate. Help us, Father. So what might the Holy Spirit be saying to you this morning? Just you and him, maybe just for a moment. What is he speaking to you? What opportunities stand in front of you? 
you just pray and deal with that however he leads you. for your word for your goodness we'd love to pray with you today if you need somebody to stand with you we'll be available up front um, to pray with you guys but thank you can we give the Lord a hand this morning thank you Father thank you Father just reminded um, this morning how blessed we are as a church this is our youth pastor worship pastor and elder here. I'm honored and grateful that I know my kids are going to send under his leadership. Amen. Can we pray for the youth of this city this morning? Just on that note, Lord, we just pray for the youth of our city, middle schoolers and high schoolers, Lord, those young people who are struggling with suicidal ideation and depression and addiction, Lord, who are um, scared, who are angry. Lord, we pray for a move of the Spirit on young people in our high schools and middle schools in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray that even the GCF Church Youth Group will not have seen its best days, Lord. This year will be the greatest year of a move of the Spirit, Lord, on our youth and the youth of this city, Lord. We ask this in your holy name. In your holy name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet as we close. Thank you for being with us. Sorry for any technical difficulties we had online. Hope we've resolved that. Yeah, we got a testimony before we leave. Erica, want to share with us? Oh my gosh, I don't want to be here. <laughs> uh, so a couple of, uh, I think, how many months? A month ago? Devon preached um, to come anyone who he, he saw people with uh, problems with their ears. And um, since August, I couldn't hear from my left ear, and I don't, it just popped, and I couldn't hear. I went to the ENT, and they told me that I had mild um, loss, hearing loss. And um, they said there was nothing that they could do. And... Um, I didn't bring it to God. I just, I said, okay, <laughs> it is what it is. Um, and when I, I know God can heal, but my faith, I struggle with my faith. I know that he could heal. I've read it. I believe it for people, other people, but not for myself sometimes. And when I heard Devon say that, I just, I fell to my knees because I knew that God wanted to heal me. But then my doubt came. <laughs> and I had this impulse to go into the front and say, it's me, it's me. But I didn't. I was too afraid, like now, to just say um, and run up here. And so um, 
I came to the front after because he said afterwards it was the day of baptisms. Afterwards, just come and do it. And there were so many other people. And it's like, wait, maybe it wasn't for me then. Because there's other people with hearing problems. It wasn't me then. And everyone started praying. And I just kind of was moving myself back. And I was not letting God do his work. And because they, they prayed for me. And I studied behavior. That's my thing. And we have a law of parsimony. That's, that's a scientific law, which is the simplest explanation. And so I'm like... I struggle with that part where I'm like, no, well, there's an explanation because of it and this and the functions of behaviors and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but um, after that day, I could hear. <laughs> I didn't hear. <laughs> I could hear and. <laughs> we cheer for dumb stuff. Come on, y'all. Let's go. And Pastor James came to me, and he's all like, hey, how are you doing? And I'm like, I'm good, but I didn't want to believe it still. And I'm like, it's going to come back. I have good days, and I have bad days. It's going to come back, probably. But it didn't. And I told my husband, I'm like, babe, it's gone. I, I could hear. And even, even then, with the miracle that I've had, I still have my doubt. And not too long ago, a couple days ago. I heard a ringing again, and I'm like, no, God, no. I want to believe that you have healed me. Stop, enemy. And it stopped. <laughs> and so right now with the miracles, I'm like, they've been telling me, like, you should, you should give the testimony. But I'm like, no, I don't like to be in front of people. <laughs> I don't. But it's just this fire in me that I needed to say something. I don't know who one needs to hear it, but I just needed to um, Give God the glory. <laughs> Come on. Thank you, Lord. Amen. That's the seed of the miracles we're going to see this month. Amen. As we lean into the Lord. Thank you, Father, that you hear our prayers. Lord, that you're in control and we're along for the ride and we want to join you in what you're doing. Help us this week as we pray and fast. Lord, as we stretch our faith, as we maybe do things we're uncomfortable with, Lord, help us. Amen? Go with the Lord this week. Amen? And we, if you need prayer, we're going to be up here praying for miracles.